where does R&B end and hip hop even begin? For the Love of Money slash Living for the City was a song by Troop and Lavert featuring Queen Latifah, and it's a song that concludes the 1991 cult classic film New Jack City with an ominous epilogue about how drug-infested communities were a result of systemic issues that plagued our country. A sound and message was needed to fuel the energy and urgency of this story. So the soundtrack plays, as the title suggests, like a definitive New Jack Swing approach to a New Jack City. A lot of R&B dance jams and conscious rap lyrics accentuated by attitude with a hint of soul. Living for the city and doing anything for the love of money ain't nothing new, as the Stevie Wonder and OJ samples merge the old and new school. The New Jack City soundtrack played its timely role at the corner of hip-hop, R&B, and gangster rap, a tone and a whole vibe that flourished in virtually all pockets of Black popular culture during this decade. Have you ever been completely captivated by a voice? Not just moved, but captivated. Few voices can completely entrance you, immerse you, hold you hostage in the emotion, the feeling they convey. But Phyllis Hyman had one of those voices. In 1991, after a five-year gap, she released her final studio album entitled Prime of My Life. Four years later, we would tragically lose her to suicide. When you listen to this album, you will hear what Phyllis does best, captivate us. We journey inward with her, with that powerhouse voice that expressed such intense heartbreak, loneliness, and longing. Songs like, when you get right down to it, I found love. When I give my love this time, Meet Me on the Moon, and my favorite on the album, Living in Confusion. These are contemporary blues songs. Yes, R&B. Yes, soul. Yes, jazz inflected. But there is a blues. Like Billie Holiday, Phyllis could meet us at the sharpest edge of our pain, our sadness, and our deepest desires, and remind us there is still light, even when we can't always see it. I'm writer and professor Ashley Blackwell. I'm screenwriter and music enthusiast Robin Cheney, and this is Rhythm and Schooled. Breaking down 90s R&B one year at a time. Episode 2, 1991, Do You Remember the Time? Should I take them to the bridge? <laughs> In 1991... While grunge was loudly announcing its mainstream presence and hip-hop was on a rocket headed for world domination, Lenny Kravitz, an underappreciated Black rock virtuoso, made a perfect R&B song. I'm talking about It Ain't Over Till It's Over. Here he was, creating a tribute to the sound of Motown, Philly Soul, and Stax, all rolled into one. He was singing like he was Smokey Robinson's second cousin. This was a retro soul throwback that could have been a hit in the 60s or 70s, but it happened in 1991, and it was a huge hit for him. It didn't sound in step with anything on the radio at that time either. So when you're in search of gems from the 90s, and specifically 1991, I urge you not to forget what Lenny Kravitz accomplished in a peerless four minutes and two seconds. It's pretty sublime. We're thinking about the climate overall of pop culture in 1991. A lot of things happened during this period. On June 1st, David Ruffin, the former lead singer of The Temptations, died in West Philadelphia of a crack cocaine overdose at the age of 50. 
The world mourned Freddie Mercury, lead singer of Queen, when he passed from complications of AIDS at the age of 45 on November 24th. And comedian Red Fox died of a heart attack on the set of the TV series The Royal Family. Ironically, everyone thought it was all a part of the fake heart attack bit he was known for in his 70s sitcom Sanford and Son. Nirvana's second album, Nevermind, was released on September 24th. The album and its first single, Smells Like Teen Spirit, helped push grunge into the mainstream rock format. The Recording Industry Association of America has since certified Nevermind as Diamond, which means 10 million copies sold. The number one song by Year's End was the soft rock ballad, Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams. So sidebar, please check out Brandy's cover of that song. It's really great. It's on her second album, Never Say Never, from 1998, that will surely pop up on this podcast sometime down the line. (laughs) And People Magazine in 1991 named Patrick Swayze the sexiest man alive, which is... That's uh, subjective, I guess. <laughs> OG Queen B, Liz Taylor, married hubby number seven, Larry Fortensky at Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch. And in film, one of the hottest films of the year was Silence of the Lambs, winning the big five Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Writing. And probably the biggest theater experience of 1991 was Terminator 2, Judgment Day. So... I will never forget this day. Around the time it was first released, I was ushered into the theater by my family. They were so excited about seeing it because there was so much hype about it because of 84's Terminator. So everyone was really jazzed about the sequel and all the special effects. And so I went in completely cold and blind. I was only nine years old, but I loved this movie. Like I was like, okay, I can see why everyone is so hyped about this (laughs) because it's so awesome. So I've been a fan ever since. Yeah, I absolutely love Terminator 2, but I didn't even see it in 1991. Um, I think I saw it a few years later, but I remember everyone was talking about that movie. And I think it's fantastic. I mean, when I think about that movie, they don't really make them like that anymore, If I'm to be quite honest. It was just so compelling. So much happened in 1991. I actually remember specifically um, my dad talking about the passing of David Ruffin. My father is a huge Temptations fan. It's his favorite group. And he often said that David Ruffin had one of the greatest voices in R&B. And I I totally agree with him on that. Smells Like Teen Spirit had me in a chokehold. I love that song. And it might be the song that started my love for rock music the more I think about it. I remember that video on MTV and being really in awe. I eventually bought the Nevermind album a few years later, and it's still probably one of my favorite albums of all time. Did you have Channel One in school when you were a kid, when like the morning news, it was like you had a new morning news and then Channel One was on during homeroom. Did you have anything like that? I feel like there was something like that, but I'm not quite sure. I, I feel like I remember something similar to that. It was one of the first times I saw the Smells Like Teen Spirit video and the white kids in class were like bobbing their heads and singing it. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, yo, this is kind of dope. I really like this too. It was was very much, yeah, I I feel like Nirvana was pretty much like college rock. So it felt like it was for the older generation, but like it was really, I feel like the middle school, high school students, we were the target for Nirvana. Yeah, they they really hit, I feel like they hit everyone with that one. And it felt very like black and white. And I recently, recently learned the drummer for Nirvana. He was talking to Pharrell Williams and he said that he got everything he knew from the Gap Band. So that's why that beat just sounds in sync. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no wonder black people love this song. Yeah. (laughs) It made so much sense suddenly. 
That's interesting. Um, the one thing that I loved uh, hearing about Nirvana was the fact that they were just like, yeah, we, we're not down with homophobia. We're not down with racism. Like these were some progressive dudes in their, philo- their personal philosophy. Yeah. Hella progressive. You're so right. Now, let's get into the groove with the top 20 best charting R&B singles of 1991. Black or White by Michael Jackson. I remember when this uh, had its world premiere on network television because Michael was on that level. It was network TV worthy. (laughs) I loved it instantly. Um, The video special effects were amazing at the time. And also just props for putting Macaulay Culkin in the video. I think that's what drew all the kids to it. (laughs) It's 100% the reason kids were drawn to it. Right. Uh, Next we have I Love Your Smile by Shanice Wilson. A major pop R&B jam that we'll definitely be getting into a bit more later. Uh, Love Makes Things Happen by Pebbles featuring Babyface which is a beautiful love song basically about cheating, which is Babyface is really good at making stuff that we ain't supposed to be excited about sound really, really good. I never thought it was about cheating. My goodness, why? <laughs> it's that one lyric where he's like, you could be a married man. Like, I'm with like, wait. With a and good attentions. Wait, I think that was Pebble's line. Damn it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, love Me Down by Freddie Jackson. I Want to Sex You Up by Color Me Bad. And I can still hear my mom saying, I can't believe they playing this on the radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the Betty Wright sample in that song. And I'm, I really love the falsetto lead vocalist, uh, Brian Abrams. And I think this song kind of felt like, I don't know, some kind of precursor to what was allowed on radio. I just think that that was kind of this really interesting period. Like, what can we play? What is allowed? Um, I think I remember hearing this about um, when Prince did the song Cream as well, just for all mm. this time. Yeah. I hear, I 100% understand that kind of like attitude of what you're saying about is there, we were hitting a boundary with what we're allowing to be like broadcasted, basically. Yeah. I was in middle school. So can you hit, imagine a bunch of middle schools on the bus and we're all sleeping right. out with the <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, yeah. So now we have Addictive Love by Vivian C.C. Winans. The way I thought this was a love song and not a gospel song when it came out jesus is addictive listen (laughs) (laughs) i can't let go by mariah carey Uh, mariah was really in her bag on this song i think this is actually one of her best songs if if someone didn't know anything about mariah carey i'd probably play this for them you wouldn't play vision i play vision of love Mm, yeah I, i i i can feel that i can feel that um, I like the way Kissing Game by High Five uh, mentioned this one in the 1990 episode. And you see how these songs have longevity. Like these songs sometimes will appear on charts multiple times over the course of years. All the Men I Need by Whitney Houston. The First Time by Surface. Gonna Make You Sweat by CNC Music Factory featuring Freedom Williams. Power of Love, Love Power by Luther Vandross. Do Me Again by Freddie Jackson. It's good to see him appearing on the charts more than once. Adam's Groove by MC Hammer. Summertime by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I consider this a forever cookout jam, but rap songs being on the R&B charts will always be interesting to me. 
Emotions by Mariah Carey, Private Line by Gerald Levert, Diamonds and Pearls by Prince, Finally by CeCe Peniston, a great song right here. And it's really fascinating the way that dance pop R&B had this really huge success during this decade. A lot of club bangers came out of this time. And How Can I Ease the Pain by Lisa Fisher. So Ashley, what's your take on the top 20 of 1991? So the songs that I deeply dig that will not be mentioned again in other sections of this episode are as follows. <laughs> Just when you go down the line. Love Makes Things Happen. I did not know that was about. I, baby Face makes, makes everything sound so wholesome. Right? I'm good night. <laughs> Uh, addictive love because BB and CC Winans, them voices, man, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And again, I like inspirational songs that are gospel songs that don't sound like traditional gospel songs. I like how they just put a little bit of flair in it, and they mm-hmm. make it they make it feel more grounded in everybody and people's everyday lives. Even the people who don't go to church every Sunday, like what mm-hmm. what do I need to pick? What do I need to keep me going? every single day. And I feel like songs like Addictive Love kind of like they they are on that line basically. I love that. And All the Man That I Need, that's again, that's one of the first one of those first Whitney songs that I heard. I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, she was mm-hmm. she was she was at her peak with that Listen, song. She was singing. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps when I hear that song. And before I even you experience romantic love with his significant other, that's that song will get you that song make you believe. <laughs> It really sure. will. For and sure. I have to give a little bit a little bit of a shout out because I was a kid. So like dance jams are always going to be something I was interested in. But mm-hmm. Going to Make You Sweat by CNC Music Factory. I call it AKA, you will put some respect <laughs> on Martha Wash's name. Martha and I wanna, Wash. And I want to talk about Martha Wash because she had to fight for her recognition because she wasn't seen in the sweat video and the other video, Strike It Up, that she did the vocals on as well. And this was due to this consistent shaft that we now, all of this happened. So we now have this federal legislation that makes vocal credit mandatory for all albums as well as music videos because of this. and. RuPaul also says something really fantastic about uh, Martha that I just want to, I I want this quote to be heard. So, quote, she merged a gospel voice into pop and dance music seamlessly. Her voice speaks to both the church and the pop ear and was built to cut through the base of a dance club. The Mm -hmm. timbre of her voice is so distinctive and beautiful. A lot of gospel-based singers have come and gone in dance music, but she is the one, end quote. Yes. When I read that, I was just like, oh, I have to, we have to talk about. Yes. I'm so glad, so glad you found that quote because that perfectly describes her and her, her abilities. Her, yeah. No one's messing with that voice. I mean, she's, <laughs> it's fan, It's so great. And I wanted to mention that because sometimes, especially in music history, that gets lost in the weeds. Everyone, we all know going to make you sweat and start singing that, but like, you don't see the woman who's singing it in the video. Right. And you know, if you do a little bit of digging, just on the surface digging, you'll find out like the story behind it and how things aren't always so savory and perfect in this space. And I'm glad she was able to fight for her recognition on this. Me too. Shout out to Martha Wash mm-hmm. for real. 
And How Can I Ease the Pain, that felt like adult contemporary ballad to me. So I used to hear it on like the um, our older radio station. So they played Lisa Fisher quite a bit. So I knew about that song and I'm like, oh, I like this too. Again, I'm nine years old. So I'm like, yeah, I like this. <laughs> and I just feel like she's another powerhouse vocalist. Um, she was in that documentary, 20 Feet from Stardom. So that's how you can get to like know her a little bit better because she's mostly known for her background work. But like seeing her in that film was really interesting because I never saw her face. So when I guess when I saw her, like you know do her magic I think um there's one scene in the film forgive me if I'm getting this inaccurate folks but there's one scene in the film where I think she's with Sting in a session mm-hmm. and yep. Sting is just like he's about to fan her <laughs> like he was just he was so like blown away but like yeah these are the women sometimes that are just doing the work and they're real they're in like the trenches not and you they're not the names that you know but they're the voices that you know basically exactly my last pick from this list is Finally by Cece Peniston. I love this song. <laughs> There's another song that she did we probably will talk about later that's probably my favorite, but I really like Finally. Um, it's a really good karaoke song, too. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, if you got if you're in the range of Cece's voice, you could you could pull a karaoke off of this song as well. It's one of those songs like how could you not feel instantly optimistic, even if you are in the drugs of your singledom? But you hear finally, and you hear that Cece found her cocoa skin and curly black hair, and you're yes. just like, oh my God. Where I he at? Did. Where is he at? <laughs> exactly. But because she's like, she's like, finally, it has happened to me. Like, finally. Hope. Like, so, There's hope. Yeah, it's it hope. <laughs> And she, Cece kind of has, I feel like even as, even as I've seen her in the last couple of years when she's done like reality TV stuff here and there, like she still has that, through all of what she's going through, she still presents herself as someone who's resilient. Like, and I think finally kind of represents that spirit in her. I love hearing that. And now for the 1991 Grammy nominations for Best R&B Rhythm and Blues Song, airing on the 1992 Grammy Awards are as follows. B.B. and CeCe Winans featuring Mavis Staples, I'll Take You There. Color Me Bad, I Want to Sex You Up. Lisa Fisher, How Can I Ease the Pain. Luther Vandross, Power of Love, Love Power. Peebo Bryson, can you stop the rain? And the winner is Luther Vandross, Power of Love, Love Power. So Ashley, what did you think about this Grammy win? I'm happy that he got to grab a little bit of the spotlight because um, I think that's what he always kind of wanted as well, mm-hmm. I think. And But a more hip song, something that's a little bit more pop, something that was a little bit more cast it cast it like a wider net for like young and old was I want to set you up because I mean it was on a soundtrack you got this multiracial group it was all it was really I think the whole package of them with the song plus the act and plus how the song was reverberating in pop culture I thought that would have been a more appropriate Grammy win honestly but like Luther winning is great but it's kind of like that old school and like new school kind of that static a little bit yeah I mean I I think it's really interesting actually seeing I Want to Sex You Up among the more traditional R&B nominees it's the only song that feels really youthful and contemporary in that new jack swing kind of way mm-hmm. um 
I definitely am happy to see Luther get everything he deserves with this win. I'm not mad at all. It's clear Luther was chasing uh, pop success with this one. And I know there's some diehards who weren't crazy about this era, but I actually really dug this song and I, I really love the message. Uh, if I was to pick, I'd either go with Luther or Lisa Fisher's How Can I Ease the Pain? I mean, just give her everything. <laughs> like She killed, killed, killed that song. It's, it's like an earth scorching ballad. It, it's just amazing. Right, and we are headed into the deep dive. Five favorite tracks from the year. So from 1991, I have these particular five picks. And I want to first start with Karen White's Romantic. So for me, Romantic is a song that you can just add to the very large pile of songs we should not have been singing at such a young age. Uh, Romantic was fantastic because of its New Jack sound and also its producers, the icons, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who I believe uh, was Miss White married to Terry, Terry right? Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Romantic became a number one hit. I think that was her only number one hit as well. Uh, also, we mentioned it before, but I Love Your Smile by Shanice was just, that's such an easy pick for me for this year. <laughs> so this Motown release from the Pittsburgh native is her biggest hit as well. Many may have only first noticed her with this single, but Shanice previously released an album titled Discovery in 1987, releasing two singles. So the first was Baby Tell Me, Can You Dance? and No Half Steppin'. In 1983, many old schoolers are likely to reminisce on her Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial, where she sang with the legend Ella Fitzgerald at just eight years old, adding to that acclaim by coming in first on Star Search that same year. I Love Your Smile also made waves internationally and received a Grammy nomination for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. Shanice is another underrated powerhouse voice, which in my opinion really shined through even more on her self-titled album from 1999. It's a personal favorite of mine. I hope to dig into it in a later episode. And just a fun fact about this particular song, which I didn't know, at the end of the song, it's Janet Jackson and her husband, at the time, Renee Alonzo Jr., who are the ones laughing. <laughs> which I love learning that. Yo, I was like, get out of here, really? So speaking of the Jacksons, or a Jackson, there's another <laughs> Jackson, Can't Let Her Get Away by Michael Jackson is my favorite from 91, one of my favorites. And oh my goodness. So remember when we mentioned how MJ's Dangerous was the best-selling New Jack Swing album? This is one of the reasons why. I love this song. So an obvi Teddy Riley production, Michael laments playing the fool and still she said goodbye with an energetic sophistication that I personally cannot help but dance voraciously to every time I hear it. Oh, I love this song. (laughs) Even with the begging and the questionable decisions of not letting her get away, Mr. Jackson was able to do what only talented musicians can, sing these unsavory ass sounding lyrics and we still cheer (laughs) another fun fact about this song is that this song was apparently re-recorded in 1993 for the meteor man soundtrack which is a very underrated black superhero movie i saw this in the theater with like my um with my group from summer camp i don't know how many other people saw meteor man like i i did too i saw it in the theater with my mom i guess i was in middle school but yeah i remember her taking me to see this oh it was so much fun i love that movie my next pick is I'm Dreaming by Christopher Williams. I'm trying not to sing again. (laughs) So the educated brother from the bank, Christopher Williams. Okay, no, no, no. 
That's his character from New Jack City from 1991. <laughs> but I can't help but say it. Like, you want to say that line. You have to say it. <laughs> this song kept us on a dance floor with one of the soundtrack's most recognizable songs. Chris's voice and whip appeal has been compared to Teddy Pendergrass, even receiving praise for his live cover of Come and Go With Me. This easy-on-the-eyes crooner contemporary reached number one status on Billboard's R&B song charts, his only number one sad to report. Another fun fact about Christopher Williams is that his aunt happens to be Ella Fitzgerald. So this is the second Ella reference on this episode. Yay! (laughs) I didn't know that. So my last pick is Quite the Transporter. And it's PM Dawn Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. This I had to dig a little bit to find out when this particular song was released. Wow, I don't even know where to begin. But Spendal (laughs) Ballet's True was already this kind of dreamy waltz around the high school gym. And the sampling on Set Adrift took it to rhythmic head nod levels while still maintaining its ethereal nature. So many thanks to PM Dawn's boho chic, they were the alternative to the alternative hip hop, in my opinion, and perhaps another Mm -hmm. dynamic of proto-neo-soul as they mix kind of the spoken word with this kind of cool breeze chorus. Very likely the members um, who consist of Atrell Cordes, who was Prince B, and Jared Cordes, who was DJ Minute Mix, uh, were slightly ahead of their time, I feel, but their imprint on music has influenced influenced the likes of people like Drake and that dude, Kanye West. And Set Adrift for me feels like a late Saturday night in my bedroom, making me wish I was older in 1991, throwing around like one of the kids on the beach on that show, Swan's Crossing. Swan's Crossing! Major dap if y'all out there know Swan's Crossing, because no one watched the show. No one. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we did. (laughs) I'm glad. Good. I dig good. Oh my gosh. See, I wasn't sure, man, because in my little small pocket in Upper Darby, I'm like, who is, I'm like, y'all not watching this? This is awesome. But also, just to kind of round this out, that was my five, but I just did want to give an honorable mention to Hold You Tight by Tara Kemp because I do feel like that's an R&B song. And it's again, one of them, one of them definitive Gen X grown songs, but I really, really like it. Oh yeah. Shout out to Tara Kemp. Hold You Tight still goes super hard. All righty. So... Let's get to my picks, some of my favorite songs from the year. Um, We're starting with Mariah Carey, Emotions, written and produced by Mariah Carey, David Cole, and Robert Cleveas. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly of CNC Music Factory. Uh, Mariah working with the producers of CNC Music Factory, to me, sounds like a match made in heaven, especially in the early 90s with this kind of dance pop sound, which Mariah's vocals really just skate on. She sounds equally as good as she sounded on those lush ballads that really cemented her career on the first album. I mainly picked this song because there are two songs I play when I need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. The first is Madonna's Holiday, and the second is Mariah's Emotions. There's just something about those songs that really lift me up. What I think is so wonderful about Emotions is that it's clearly a disco song. It is heavily influenced by the group from the 70s, The Emotions, and their song, Best of My Love. So influenced, it apparently got Mariah and the producers sued by Maurice White, (laughs) who um, felt it was a little too uh, familiar. And they ended up reaching a settlement out of court. I can really feel these like strong gospel underpinnings in this song, which Mariah is really good at. She did the same thing with songs like Make It Happen and Anytime You Need a Friend as well. The song is a perfect marriage of pop, R&B, gospel, and disco. And Mariah is just vocally supreme. You know, she's another one of these untouchable vocal forces, just like Whitney Houston. You know, Mariah has her own distinct gift, 
the way she uses those octaves on emotions and that whistle register that mm. she ends up using at the end, it's just kind of mind blowing. It almost feels like superhuman in some way. But um, the song is about being in love, but feels to me like it's so much bigger than that, almost like a celebration of life. Uh, the same way I feel when I get when I hear those great disco songs from the 70s. How many of us lost our voice trying to do those? That, 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 I can't even, I'm not even going to attempt it. But you not know she does it try. end, trying to do those high. Because even I still try to do it. Even just, just playing around if I'm listening to the song. But yeah, that's a great song. Um, I never even thought about that. Cause, but yes, um, there are so many um, deeper cuts and also released tracks that Mariah Carey had during this period that I really, really liked. Right? She's oh, amazing. Uh, so my second track is uh, Jodeci, Forever My Lady, written and produced by Albie Shore and Devante Swing. So you're having my baby. The first words sung by Casey Haley, and I tell you, R&B was never the same. Forever My Lady and the album of the same name was a major part of that shift that was happening in R&B. This song is a game changer. Jodeci, the bad boys of R&B as they would later be known, uh, brought this hip-hop swagger to the sound of sultry, sensuous soul, due in large part to the dynamic producing and writing of member Devante Swing and the vocal abilities of KC and JoJo. We have KC with this really gritty church, church sound, kind of reminding you of like a Bobby Womack, and then JoJo with this really like blazing tenor. They were on fire. The song doesn't sound like anything before it, but it definitely has influenced everything after it. Jodeci, as many people who know me know, uh, they're my favorite male vocal group of the 90s. But it's because of this kind of sound, this soulfulness, this gospel flavored sultriness that they perfected. Uh, never had the marriage of R&B and hip hop uh, felt so seamless at that moment. Forever My Lady best demonstrates the ever-changing landscape of R&B in the 90s. And it was, and this impact is pretty massive. This was definitely a precursor to what would later be called hip hop soul. Going back a little to what I said in the beginning about how this music permeated all facets of Black popular culture, everyone remembers Forever Shanae. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, just just the pervasiveness of like yes. this, how popular this song was with particular audiences and how Martin kind of brings that into his own show and makes it like a gag, but a respectable one at the same yeah, time. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. And for my next for my next track, I chose Main Conditions, Breaking My Heart, Pretty Brown Eyes, written by Jeffrey Allen, Lawrence Waddell, and Stokely Williams. Produced by Mint Condition and Jelly Bean Johnson, who was a former member of the funk band The Time. I love Mint Condition. And it was really rare in the 90s to have an R&B band where all members played instruments. So that also contributed to them having this really distinct sound compared to the other uh, male groups of the 90s. I picked this song because first, I don't think Mint Condition is discussed enough for their greatness. And second, this particular song, Breaking My Heart, is evidence of what made 90s R&B truly special. It's one of those essential songs that very much belongs to its time, but it also feels really timeless. It's a sultry heartbreak ballad, but it feels really exciting to listen to. The instrumentation makes the song just so alive and so vibrant, despite the theme of heartbreak. Frontman lead singer Stokely Williams sings with so much, so much enormous passion. His vocal range is bonkers. 
And it's demonstrated really effortlessly on this song. The runs, those high notes, whew. And needless to say, the song was a huge success and took the al their album Meant to Be Meant to platinum status. It was all over Black radio and it was all over pop radio. Um, some songs got played so much during that time, but I was always looking forward to hearing this. I mean, I never felt like it was played out. I, I love hearing this song. And recently, uh, the song had a resurgence because of on TikTok. Uh, I have I don't have TikTok, but I heard some people talking about this. So I just love hearing that uh, how classic the song is, and how a new generation has discovered the song. Wait, were they doing like their own rendition of the song? I or? think so. Yeah, I something something involving TikTok. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think that's pretty dope because I always feel like certain artists and groups from the '90s don't get enough appeal. So I love hearing that. Interesting. Like another connection between the song. I remember <laughs> this. They played a little bit of the song, the opening, because the opening obviously has kind of a. It's so. It starts and stops in a way. Yes, yeah, really so dramatic. Like, yeah, it's dramatic. And, <laughs> like it was who played? Yeah, it was on Fresh Prince of Bel Air a later episode. So they did that. No, it's it's such a it's such a great great song. Um, so for my next pick, we have Lisa Lisa in the Cult Jam. Let the beat hit them. Written by Robert Claveyes, David Cole, Al Friedman, Duran Ramos. Produced by David Cole and Robert Claveyes. Once again, of CNC Music Factory. And I didn't know until researching for this episode that this was also produced by CNC Music Factory. But it makes so much sense. It's a straight up party jam with that house, dance, pop, R&B, hip hop kind of all mashed together into this really funky groove. And it just feels explosive and ever shifting sonically. It's soulful in the sense of R&B, but it appeals to the vastness of R&B because it's displaying several frequencies all on one track. It feels experimental in that way too. It kind of puts your ear to work a little bit, but in the most enjoyable way. And I just want to give props to brown-eyed soul queen Lisa Lisa, who we definitely do not talk about enough. I swear we need to really reassess who gets remembered because Lisa Lisa and Nicole Jam were significant contributors to the sound of R&B and pop and of course Latin freestyle music. For me, this song evokes some really great memories. Reminds me of my best friend Janira growing up when we were, this was like a, our middle school jam and it's just a really feel good high energy song. Yeah, I really like the song too. This was like a dance Saturday night kind of jam that I really, really liked. And then you're, I love that you said it's experimental because it does sound very experimental. Right? Like it doesn't sound like there are a lot of like, it was like those, like they went kind of in on Saturday night radio sometimes where they would play stuff like this. And then they played that one song that came later in the 90s. I don't want to, it was called like Bump That or something. It was okay. like, it had this like dance, like track but then it was like a guy like whining and complaining about like just like regular stuff like if he's like trying to talk to a girl at a club or something it was it was bizarre <laughs> but, it, but I feel like like let the beat hit him with play in line with like songs like this so, like all this kind of experimental kind of like mm -hmm. dance music in this one kind of like like setting it was it was interesting <laughs> No, no, for real. Like it's it's such an experimental track, and I just like I said, just mad props to Lisa Lisa and Nicole Jam. And then for my final song, I chose Jeff Fred's "You Called and Told Me," written by Dave Hall, Eric Miltier, and Jeff Red, produced by Dave Jam Hall. If someone who never heard New Jack Swing before asked me what songs they should listen to to understand the sound of New Jack Swing. 
I'd say, I like my guy, just got paid by Johnny Kemp, and I'd say this song, You Called and Told Me by Jeff Redd. The song comes off the Strictly Business soundtrack, uh, the 1991 film that starred Tommy Davidson, Halle Berry, and Joseph C. Phillips. I think it's a top tier New Jack Swing song. It might not be one of the most popular songs, but like I said, I feel like it really has this essential feel to it. And I'm specifically referring to the hip hop version because there's another version of the song. And this particular version, I think is just a really fun party jam. I love Jeff Fred's vocals on this. And it just instantly evokes a lot of good memories for me. Oh, oh, and fun fact, Jeff Red is mostly known for getting the then unknown singer Mary J. Blige her star in the music industry by helping her get signed. And apparently uh, she toured with him as a background singer. This song kind of reminds me of like one of my favorite 90s movies is A Love Down Dirty Shame. So mm. like you hear the music from the soundtrack in the movie. So I like I'm familiar with those songs that like probably never got a whole lot of uh, radio play or people don't really know them very well. And I feel yeah. like this Jeff Red song kind of like falls into that category. It's really essential, but I don't know how many people really know it. But mm-hmm. then I'm like, maybe if you're like a huge New Jack Swing head, like, you know, this one, right? Or like you said, you saw the movie, you might have been familiar with the soundtrack and you would know it. But yeah, I, I don't hear people talking about it like they talk about other New Jack Swing joints. School is in session. So with our legacy segment, we just want to have longer discussions regarding artists, careers, albums, moments, and movements in the 90s, trying to add nuance and to contextualize music history for y'all. Because this music history is massive and we can't dismiss it. Let's embrace it and all the complexities that come with it. So we've talked about Michael Jackson and dangerous a little bit, but let's get into the guts of how this came to be. And I want to start with a little refresher for everyone here and mention that Michael Jackson is the greatest cultural mediator to ever live because I am convinced a one-liner from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air given by Will and Carlton's English teacher, Ned Fellows, while advocating for Will in the most un-PC 90s version of allyship, lets his less enlightened peers know that will comes from a place where bad means good. And how does that concept enter our lexicon so seamlessly on a family-oriented sitcom very much targeted to audiences wide? How, how, how is everyone in on that joke? And it's Michael Jackson's Bad, which is considered a phenomenal follow-up to his impossible-to-compare thriller, showcase what some have considered Michael padding his already bursting at the seams treasure of sharp artistic vision. So although Bad, the true life story which inspired the video, is entwined in tragedy, Michael pays homage to the fallen by becoming a phoenix, his character in the video, a person true to their roots but constantly striving for more. So Michael said, quote, I think that's life, to want to grow and become more, Like, you plant a seed and it grows into something beautiful. It never dies, really. I think people should be that way, end quote. Bad had the necessary edge because MJ was a grown damn man and he wanted to make sure everyone knew so, too. So naturally comes the guts of his next effort, Dangerous. And the video debuts became world events. 
I certainly know where I was on the evening of November 14th, 1991, along with 500 million people sitting too close to the television, tuned into Fox to see if it really mattered if we were Black or white. (laughs) It was our introduction to his interest and embrace of hip hop that would only continue to be sprinkled into all efforts that follow. So another sidebar, do yourself a favor and listen to this time around on his history album. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite songs ever where he did a track with Notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if Michael knew the new Jack Swing storm was coming because his now classic standards, he knew that they weren't going to cut it with hip hop's ascendance on the horizon. So with his engineer, Bruce Sweetian, revealing that Michael was on the hunt for a sound that was, quote, very street, that young people would be able to identify with, end quote, it's no surprise that eventually a 24-year-old Teddy Riley hears on the other end of his phone line, you need to produce my next album. So Riley took the lead on the album's groovier essence, with Michael demanding Riley to divorce his veneration and put all his grit into making sure that the work is just as superb as what we heard with Guy, Bobby Brown, Keith Sweat, and so forth. Six of his productions made the final cut, add Michael to the list of established artists finding their footing in this era. And he found his new Jack success, yet still his messages of upliftment, sweet and seductive sentiments, the words that make Michael Michael and the fan imagination, that all remained. But his prophecy was fulfilled. Mike, I'm still listening from the future, and I feel like his music will live on forever. Yes. Yes, I'm listening from the future, and it still sounds so, so good. Um, as you said, his his work with Teddy Riley was superb. The album is versatile. It's R&B, it's rock, it's gospel, it's pop. I mean, Michael just kind of leaned into his magic with all these genres and, and made something really special. Um, I've heard arguments from folks that say this is his best album, and I, I can wow. see why they make that argument. And when I think about it, I'm like, I can see why somebody would think this is this is their favorite Mike album or his best album. I think Mike was able to change with the times and remain at the forefront of pop culture, you know, longer than many. Yeah, he told. This is why he's the king of pop. He's he's so able to. He's very, especially in the '90s. He was it was very easy for him to know how to adapt to the times in a way that still people were still buying his albums in droves. Like that's amazing. Cause not everyone could do that. We've talked about mm-hmm. that. I remember the day I bought this album at record town with my little, <laughs> with my little $20. Yes. But another person find trying to find their footing during this time, another male icon artist was Prince. And interestingly enough, those in the privileged proximity to the purple one were witness to a somewhat creative stagnation. An alleged slow adapter to change, Prince also reckoned with the changing sonic tides and managed to find his own footing and blending R&B and rap, arguably with his October 1st, 1991 release of Diamonds and Pearls. So another sidebar, I have to say, I have to say. <laughs> uh, my youngest brother, was that was his exact birthday. He was born on October 1st, 1991. To my mother, who was the biggest Prince fan I've ever known. I just find that, I just thought that was really funny. I love that. So here, classic soul comes together with rapper Tony Mosley and company's lyricism in true Prince fashion. If he was willing to bend to modern sensibilities, Prince would never completely morph into, I gotta say it again. If he was willing to bend to modern sensibilities, he would never completely morph to follow the formula to the letter. And this is where things get a little uneven 
So Prince's hip-hop-infused tracks like Jughead seemed more like a mockery to the genre in line with his previous comments about rap being, quote, silly. And then the next song on the album is Prince in his socially conscious and soulful comfort zone with Money Don't Matter Tonight, which is probably my favorite song on the album. Once called, quote, blatant aim for commercial appeal, end quote, Diamonds and Pearls truly does feel like an elongated jam session that has as many sparks as it has fizzles. But in my opinion, perfection should never be the goal because Prince thrives on spontaneity. Mm. Even his band members from the new power generation, they had to be ready. And when I say ready, I mean ready. A weekend's notice up to a second's notice because none of them knew when Prince would switch it up on them. And they adapted because in a work environment like this, no one said no to Prince. Fortuitous was Diamonds and Pearls' close release with Dangerous, as these two musicians were too often unfairly labeled as competitive or compared. Even if this were the case, I chose to imagine them as separate souls that follow divergent musical destinies. So MJ is the king of pop for a reason. Again, there was no denying for a long period that he knew how to tap into what the mainstream wanted. Prince, however, seemed much more interested in open experimentation, and his fans had the option to take a ride on the Paisley train or not. Mm, that is so, so true about Prince. <laughs> he really he really didn't care. I mean, nope. <laughs> he, he knew he would have fans, whether there was fans from before or new fans listening to, to his new albums. Um, as you know, Ashley, but our listeners may, may not, I am a huge Prince fan. He's probably my favorite artist. But this is not my favorite Prince album. I do think he wrestled with how to best bring his sound into a new decade. He understood rap was skyrocketing, but he was never a huge fan of rap. Or perhaps I should say he had a strained relationship to it. So the attempts do feel really forced. But Prince was experimental and always trying to push music forward beyond its borders in every way. Once again, just like what Michael did with Dangerous, you have R&B, pop, rock, gospel, and rap all on one album, right? I do I do love Diamonds and Pearls, Cream, Money Don't Matter Tonight, and that bedroom jam, Insatiable. Uh, those are really <laughs> standout tracks to me. These titans, they weren't alone in the musical landscape during this period as well, I wanted to mention, because there was so us talking about MJ and Prince it's like, well, who came next? And very clearly, their successors, I feel like they paid much honor to those who came before them because you hear so, again, you hear that old school and new school kind of just coming together and making something new. I think also, yet their youthfulness offered a timely flair. And there's two male groups in particular that came to show us the broad range of what 90s R&B did so well. Yes, yes. There are two really big R&B albums that were released in 1991 that set the foundation for male R&B vocal groups and serve as a blueprint for the rest of the decade. Those albums were Cooley High Harmony by Boys to Men and Forever My Lady by Jodeci. These two groups and albums were so distinct musically and stylistically, and every male R&B group that came after them were heavily influenced by both. Let's take a look at why. So, I'm going to start with Cooley High Harmony by Boys to Men. The album is largely produced by the super underrated producer Dallas Austin, who we definitely do not talk about enough as a shaper of the sound of 90s R&B. Yes. <sighs> He's just phenomenal. Uh, the members of Boys to Men hail from Philadelphia and were managed by Michael Bivens from New Edition and Belle Bib DeVoe fame. 
Also to be noted, the members of Boys to Men did a lot of writing on this album, which I think is really important to acknowledge. When I went back to listen to Cooley High Harmony, I was shocked by how much it stood the test of time. It actually sounded better than I remembered. I kind of fell in love with the album in a new way, and my appreciation for them has deepened even more. Boys to Men did things no one was doing at the time. These guys had pitch-perfect harmonies. They were like a new-age doo-wop group for the hip-hop generation. Their approach to R&B was really brilliant, because who at this point was really bringing doo-wop to the forefront and meshing it with New Jack Swing? Doo-wop was huge in the 50s, and here are Boys to Men utilizing it in a contemporary way that really worked. The album sold over 9 million copies. The first single was a monster hit called Motown Philly, a New Jack Swing jam that allowed them to exhibit their vocal harmonies and skills in a, in a unique and exciting way. This was played to death on the radio, by the way. The album is also filled with variety. There's slow jams like Please Don't Go and Uh Ah. You have the brilliance of the cover of It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, played endlessly at funerals and graduations alike. <laughs> um, one of my favorite songs on the album is a deep cut called Your Love. And I could play that song all day. It actually might be my favorite Boys to Men song. And I must mention their look. These were preppy, clean-cut, Carlton Banks-type guys. The boys next door. The guy, the nice guys you bring home to mama. It was a complete change from the more street look we were already getting familiar with. The impact of the album was huge. And perhaps Boys to Men, uh, maybe the most influential 90s male group in terms of mainstream success. But I have to push back on that a bit because we have to discuss the enormous impact of Jodeci, whose debut album, Forever My Lady, which came out the following month in May. They ushered in the so-called bad boy era of R&B, as stated by journalist Preezy, who went on to say the look and album would completely shift R&B's landscape. The church background of the group really had influenced their sound in a distinct way, comprised of two sets of brothers hailing from North Carolina and Virginia. They were church and street and deeply soulful in a way that hadn't been heard before. Member, producer, songwriter Devante Swing's sonically brilliant production over the vocals of Casey and JoJo were next level. Slow jams like Stay, I'm Still Waiting, and You and I were sensuous bedroom grooves with churchy vocals. Come and Talk to Me, one of my favorite songs on the album, is a standout. Although I do feel the New Jack Swing songs on the album are not as strong as the slow jams, I really think the reason that is, is because Jodeci was actually trying to move and push beyond New Jack Swing. And I'm talking about hip hop soul, which we will get into in later episodes. Here was a group that gave us R&B, rugged and gritty with plenty of heart and soul. And this is why both Cooley High Harmony and Forever My Lady are considered blueprints and cultural touchstones in R&B because R&B music was never the same after this. I feel fortunate to grow up in a time when their music was released. Big fans of both groups then and now. I was in middle school when these albums dropped. Lots of debates from classmates over who we liked more, who was cuter, whose music was better. Um, I dug them both, but definitely as stated, I'm a bigger Jodeci fan overall. So um, Ashley... Do you have any thoughts on Cooley High Harmony or Forever My Lady? I thought Boys to Men was just okay growing up. I was actually not that big of a fan or even a fan at all, but I did enjoy some of their singles. Like, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. I really did like that song. I love the sentiment of it, but not enough to purchase any other albums or singles or anything. Because I was a single queen. I would go... Because you don't got a lot of money when you're a kid. So I would go down to that record store and buy them dollar singles. But uh, 
I was gifted a copy of their second album, a little when that came out a little bit later. So I got a chance to dig into their deep cuts, like from that album. And I, and I, and I developed an appreciation. Like I didn't, I didn't come out of pocket for it. It was just given to me. And I'm just like, eh, I'm not crazy about them, but I'll listen to this. And I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> I like I liked I liked more of the stuff that wasn't released, basically. Yeah. So as a teenager, I was like this non-conformist conformist, like like to, towards the overstimulation of artists. So Boys to Men just happened to be in the pile of acts I just wasn't invested in. And honestly, they came off as whiny to me. I didn't like that. So I don't like whiny men, dude. But anyway, <laughs> um, I had to separate their douchey look from their music, which to me was always objectively good. Like I thought their music was really good, but there was something about, like, I just wasn't, I wasn't buying what they were trying to sell to me, basically. And Motown Philly was everywhere. You're right. And that kind of annoyed me because I just, it just wasn't my jam. But I, um, but then there was also a ah, which that was too grown for me. I'm just, like, <laughs> this was just making me uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to listen to this. So, but you also, you summed them up so perfectly. They are, quote, you know, this new age doo-wop group from the hip hop generation, end quote. Like, I just, that's the perfect way of like, describing them. So I give them and their team a ton of credit for developing them as this template for massive crossover appeal. Like they, they, you know, Michael Bivens and company, they had, they had a formula and they put that formula together and it worked. And I can't, I like, again, objectively, that's fantastic. Like I'm blown away. Like, and I think that's really fantastic. Jodeci, I came into Jodeci appreciation a lot older and you know I because with Jodeci like I would listen to it I would listen to some of a track on 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 the radio and I was just like ah, I just kind of moved on like there was something about Jodeci that didn't connect for me as a as a child and I don't know why I feel like this is a proposal for a therapist because I do not know I was not a boy band or a boy group person I just wasn't like the stuff that they like really like marketed towards young people like oh this is a boy band and they cute and they just say that and I'm like so like I just didn't care I really didn't care about boy bands I don't know why um or if we, if we want to call them the boy bands um that's not just yet not, yeah that's just, that's just like a low-hanging fruit term I know that's not the correct term but like male groups, like I just was not like super into them. I don't know why I was so dismissive, um, but it was. I think it was just the the portion. This is just the part of my life where I was just. And I'll get into this a lot more in the next episode. I think I'm going to really hit the nail onto why um, I leaned more heavily into female groups than male groups. I think that that was I can look back now and definitely say I had a deep bias where I was just like, I'm into what the women are doing and not really the, what the men are doing. Um, again, later on down the line, there are some male groups that uh, I really, really love. For me, I suppose, I feel like I needed a maturity to indulge in Jodeci that I did that I just didn't have back then. Like ironically, Anita Baker spoke to me where Jodeci didn't. Of course, now as an older person, you grow up, you have this appreciation for music in general, you evolve, you're just like, I like mm -hmm. appreciate all of this. So, but I wasn't feeling it when I was a kid. I think appreciation for music can develop over time. And especially as we get older and mature, I think that's what I love about going back to like reassess music over the years, because it changes like how you felt then, how you feel now, what artists you connect with. I love that about music. Absolutely.
So we have a section called, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. So like the brownstone single, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, are just some of the insightful tidbits we came across while doing our research, or from distant recollections passed down that we wanted to mention. So Ashley, what you done heard? (laughs) Well, one of the things I loved learning was the fact that Albie Shore wrote Forever My Lady for his pregnant girlfriend, Kim Porter. Mm. So Albie Shore, this great singer and songwriter, and then there's Kim Porter, who was this model and this businesswoman. And the two were a couple, and they had a son together named Quincy. What I love about Albie Shore and learning more about him and learning about, like, I believe on the Unsung episode, Kim mentions Albie Shore looking at her and saying, so you're having my baby. And then she just started swooning. Mm. I feel like and I hope that that love that he had for her was genuine and pure. It seems that way. And it really comes out in Jodeci's Jodeci's delivery of that song. So that's why I, again, that's why I can go back and like listen to Forever My Lady. Now it's one of my favorite songs. Yay! I converted her. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So I also done heard that Michael Jackson was heavily influenced by Rhythm Nation. Mm-hmm. Probably to the, yeah, probably to the obsession point because it's Michael. And <laughs> hearing how good this album was and its success even, it led him to ask the album's producers, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, to produce Dangerous. Mm. And their loyalty to Janet made them turn Michael down. Which I think worked out because I think his, his, his work with Teddy, it's just fated to be with Teddy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So this was 1991. Please visit rhythmandschooledpodcast.com for our archive of shows, notes and references for your own independent schooling and get to know us. We fly. Our email is the 411 at com. If you have feedback and want to speak out on your favorite R&B artists of the 90s, we'll be sure to read it and share on the show in the future. A quick recorrect from current episodes. We are on Instagram at 90s R&B pod. Again, find us on Instagram at 90s R&B pod. And to hear curated mixtapes for each episode, find them exclusively on Spotify. Until next time. Bye. Peace. Peace.